You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Hello, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell. Welcome to Living Truth. We are so glad that you're listening in today. Uh, today, we are going to have a special program in uh, regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications and meaning of all that. And first of all, we want to say thank you and hi to all of our listeners around the world. Uh, uh, hello from Phoenix, Arizona. Hope you're doing well. We are praying that God blesses you today. Uh, we have been um, going through the book of Jonah, and we will continue with that series after this as well. Uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, welcome. Uh, the format of this program is really a conversation between two friends. We love to talk about the scripture. We love to talk about the Lord over a cup of coffee or hot tea or hot chocolate, as the Reverend likes to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, CL, how are you doing, brother? I am doing well. Welcome. Doing well, and... Again, as you said, um, we are humbled and honored to have listeners from all over the world, and we want you to know that um, we do not take um, your listenership for granted. We are praying that God somehow uses what is a devotional time betwixt you and I to bless the hearts of men and women in uh, uh, countries that uh, we've not been to, uh, some that we've had the opportunity to be to, and uh, wherever this broadcast finds you, we pray that this sacred season will be a time of enrichment for you, blessedness, and that what was done historically 2,000 years ago might be rich and alive in your heart, in so much as we serve a living Amen. and risen Savior. Amen. So, in and do the fact that this week is Good Friday, Good Friday, and, and Passover week, Passover week. Uh, obviously, Easter Sunday is coming. Um, uh, we thought it appropriate to talk about the resurrection today. Uh, we are currently in our regular series are going through the Book of Jonah, and so. Uh, uh, we'll come back to that in the following weeks, but uh, we want to talk about the resurrection today. And in times past, like a year or two ago, we did talk about uh, the last seven statements of Jesus while he was on the cross. Yes, uh, We have a couple uh, episodes uh, posted on our website. The website is called passionforhisword.com, and you can check those out. Uh, but today we're going to focus mostly on the resurrection and really what's behind it, what it means, what it is and what it isn't. Um, maybe even the importance and some of the implications of that. But um, I think to get us started, it would be a good idea for me to read some scripture because you always want to have scripture involved in our conversation. So we're going to be uh, going and listening, or listening rather, reading from 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can join along with us. If not, just listen along. 1 Corinthians 15. And now I think we should start, I was going to start with verse 1. But maybe you want to start with uh, verse twelve. No, I would. I would start with verse the whole chapter is good. Yes, it really is, and, yeah. and scripture is okay. worth. I'll reading go with and verse one. Heard. Okay, now I make known to you, uh, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain now until, or but have, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of uh, among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we preached or we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have also, have, have also perished, or have perished, rather. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now, I'm going to stop there. Now, the rest, the whole chapter really is about questions about the resurrection. You know, it goes into okay, if the resurrection happens, and what kind of body, and this kind of nature of the resurrection, the the nature of the resurrection. He goes on to explain that, and maybe we'll have time uh, to talk about that because they had questions. Now, this is not necessarily a question that that. Um, perhaps that they, you know, in the other parts of First Corinthians, he's raising questions that he know he's he's had, but he's hearing perhaps some misinformation. I think he's taking this chapter to explain, to sort of teach. He doesn't come at him with a, a corrective mode as it is as as, mu- as much of a of a teaching mode, because apparently some of them are kind of confused on on what's going on or what's going to happen, and uh, and so now he's taking this time to address. And I think it's. Obviously appropriate that he uh, he takes his time because this is foundational. I mean, if you don't have this, you know, you're, he says your our preaching is in vain. So, uh, thank God that Paul actually addresses this. So let's stop here, and then if if time permits, we can continue on the rest of the chapter. So, so Paul brings up the the fact of the gospel. He brings up the fact of of what's involved in the gospel and and uh, what he's received and what he's heard and what he's preached and what others have preached as well. Absolutely. I think it's important for us to clarify right at the start, John, uh, what our goal is in this. And yes. our goal is not to prove the resurrection. By the way, it's not that we are avoiding that information no. um, because that is very important information. But the nature of this particular task that we are setting forth is not to prove it. And and I want to be very clear here that salvation is through faith, not science. Right. 
And we're not avoiding the scientific data and jargon. That's a different broadcast for a different time. Right. But both you and I really felt um, impressed by the Spirit of God that this season, it would be critical for us to discuss uh, the importance and the implications of, of what it means for us to be standing, not simply in this season, right? Yeah. But in the light of this historical event. Well, you know, it's interesting that Paul in here, he doesn't set out to try to prove the resurrection. Even though he lays out various proofs of the resurrection, his his whole point is not to say, here's why the resurrection, a resurrection of Jesus, but rather, what does it all mean? You know, what's what does it look like? And so there's other, I mean, there's books you can read, the YouTube videos, there's all sorts of articles you can read on proofs and evidences. At the end of the day, you know, um, you can have all the evidence in the world. At the end of the day, you have to say, what am I going to do with this evidence? You know, I have to make a decision of whether to take it at face value or whether to ignore it. And so um, that's not the intent of our, our uh, broadcast today is not to try to prove the resurrection. We are assuming by faith that we, that the resurrection has, has occurred of Christ. Now we're looking and speaking to Christians uh, as far as what that all means. Right, and we're not denying that there are individuals who would actually argue against the right. resurrection, but I have to say, just in brevity, that it is the most uh, proved, well-established event, yeah. even legally, yeah. of ancient antiquity. Yeah. Uh, so really, at this particular point, our goal is edification. Exactly. We want to encourage and upbuild the believers who are standing in this particular day and in this hour where we are uh, under the blessedness of what uh, Christ has done, the Holy Spirit has done, and the Father has done, namely raised Jesus from the dead. And, and I think, and I don't know if time will permit, maybe the, the Lord will direct conversation, but there's enough, the preaching of the early church, if you look at through the book of Acts, pretty much all the preaching of Peter and even Paul, the resurrection is the key element of it all. It's central. And what I don't, I'm not sure, certain if a lot of believers of the church understand really the implications for daily life or the implications for any life, um, this side of heaven or the other side of heaven. You know, there's, there's huge implications, and we'll talk about all that. This resurrection was central to their preaching. Uh, if you look, like I say, look through the book of Acts, uh, even from Acts 2, from the very first message that pre Peter preaches at Pentecost, uh, the resurrection is the key element there. You know, Paul gets into trouble because he mentions the resurrection. He's before, you know, various, the Roman courts and, and whatnot. And obviously with his uh, um, fellow, the Sanhedrin, it's the resurrection that really is central to his preaching. And so, um, we want to talk about that as well. So anyway, so the resurrection, when we talk about the resurrection, what are we saying? Because, you know, there's all kinds of ideas or I don't want to assume it, that everybody is thinking the same way. And I know that, that even in the first century, they had their concepts of what would happen after you die. So let's talk about it. what, what exactly, what is the resurrection or what is it not? You know, what, what are we saying? Yeah, John, I think it's important because what we would like to assume is that there is a commonality of theological conviction and biblical definition when we are speaking concerning certain things. Yeah. And the truth of, truth of the matter is, um, I think today it would do us well to err on the side of define, define, define. Yes. Because in in the 
broad rubric or stroke of what is supposed to be Christendom. And you need to know that statisticians make that a broader stroke than, in fact, uh, the Bible does. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who are deemed Christians who would not be so as uh, if they were aligned with Scripture, right? Right. right. Um, uh, if, if Scripture were, if they were measured rather by Scripture. And so I think it's important to define it. And, and in order to define it, it helps to look at what it is not yeah. and what it is, because uh, we don't want people to be working with a false definition. Yeah. So what, what are you saying it's not? Because I well, know what I would say. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I think I want to start with um, uh, the academic world first and say there was historically an argument from Bishop Spong. Uh, um, and, and Bishop Spong was a liberal-minded um, uh, episcopate yes. or, or bishop who actually argued that the resurrection was not a real event, it was a conceptual event, right, right. wherein, he argues, that the body of Jesus was either dumped in a hole and uh, forgotten or was eaten by wild dogs. So, and, and, and the concept of the resurrection was about uh, what was new, what was right. life. And it did not, in fact, necessitate a risen Savior or a risen okay. person, namely Jesus Christ. Okay, so what you're saying, and this is what even a lot of false or sort of cultish and false um, Christian or pseudo-Christian uh, religions... Would propagate. Would propagate. They would say Jesus didn't arise bodily, but just like spiritually he rose, that somehow he ascended to heaven spiritually. Um, and so what we're not saying that the, the, the resurrection is not just a spiritual event. It's not just a um, ethereal thinking, you know, hopeful thinking, oh, this is newness of life type thing, you know? Right. It's it's not it's not a springtime concept of when the flowers bud, uh, it, when, when things are renewed or fresh or, right. or concepts of that nature. It's also not the uh, ideological or ideological uh, concept right. of, of, wow, you know, there's, there's, there's new thinking new or life fresh and, ideas. Yes. It, it's, it's not cryptic. It's not ambiguous like that. Yeah. Uh, it it mustn't be defined like that because the Bible will not, in fact, allow it to be defined in that way. Now, I'm just going to throw you off with this. How do how do eggs get messed up with bunnies? Oh, okay. Because you see in the church today the whole Easter egg thing and the whole Easter bunny thing, um, and it's often saying, "Well, eggs are like new life." Okay. The resurrection is not about bunnies. It's not about eggs. I don't know what eggs, eggs and bu bunnies don't lay eggs for one thing. Okay, so that's messed up. There isn't this this idea of new life. It's springtime. It's newness. No, 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 no. There's something more significant that's going on in the resurrection. That is that when you relegate it to just a newness of life or a new springtime or you know things are new. You shortcut it, or you, 
you cheapen it. You undermine you it. You undermine frankly, it. Because this is not, and, and although many will use the term Easter, this is not connected with Ishtarte right. and the false pagan deities of of um, of ancient lore or of um, uh, European or Americanized lore, wherein we take Christian concepts, or rather pagan concepts, and seek to Christianize them. Um, this is not, again, about the productivity betwixt Ishtarte and right. Baal right. and their interaction as the God of heaven, the right. God of earth, thus producing a fertility. Right. And that crops fertility, are going to grow. Right. That yeah. fertility being seen best during springtime. Right. And thus what we really celebrate in Christian speak is a historic pagan concept of, of plant growth See, as a result of the sexual interaction betwixt deities. That's See, not what resurrection is. And resurrection is not, um, you know, it's it's funny because the, the 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 Christian definition of resurrection, which we're getting to, obviously, which involves more than just a spiritual thing, it involves an actual physical um, resurrection, a, a physical truth, is brand new in the scene. Because if you like, if you read like N.T. Wright, you know, in his his book on the resurrection of God, which is uh, resurrection of the Son of God which is like eight or 900 pages long, you know. It's, which is, by the way, the quintessential work on resurrection. It is. Um, the idea of a resurrection of, from the Christian standpoint is brand new because they would not expect, the ancient world did not want or expect a physical resurrection because uh, the idea was to be freed of physical things, being uh, the soul being free from the physical body. That was the goal. Well, for you to now say, well, there's a rejoining of something physical, that was the total antithesis to the ancient way of thinking because their goal was to say, well, when death comes, I will be free from this body and I will, and my, my soul will be free. And so the Christians, we come in and we say, the resurrection involves something physical, not just something spiritual, it involves something physical, i.e. a body and material. And that would have caused them to to say, whoa, this is different, you know, and maybe the, perhaps this is what's going on with uh, with the Corinthians, that they are maybe affected by this way of thinking, you know? Yeah, to be sure, I, I want to highlight that there are concepts of resurrection um, in ancient antiquity, uh, both during the first century and also predating the first century. Yes. Remember in about 2200 to 2100 BCE, before the writing of the biblical text, right? Job says, yes. though, the, though the skin worms defer, destroy my flesh, right. yet in my flesh shall I see God. Right. There's there's not this full or developed <clears throat> eschatological hints. concept right. of resurrection um, yet. But it, even that early, there's this concept of there's going to be new life, and somehow it's going to be bodily life. Right. Um, uh, further, uh, David, who is 1000 BCE, right, speaks yes. not of himself, says right. Peter in Acts, but actually speaks concerning his... Um, a, a son, namely the Messiah, and argues that his body will not see corruption. Right. Uh, so there's some kind of bodily concept, if you will. Um, the, the, the struggle comes in not with um, um, Judaic thinking, even though within Judaism you had individuals right. like the Sadducees, right. who in fact did Denied. not believe in the resurrection even of the body. Even though the scriptures talk about resurrection. And Jesus well, we'll, corrects Well, them. you know, we'll get to, because well, the, the Jewish way of understanding resurrection was different than the Christian way because 
they saw resurrection as more of a mass resurrection at the last day. Yes, in the last day. In the last day. Isn't this what uh, Jesus runs into in John 11? Yeah. When when the sister of Lazarus says, well, I know know. that he'll be raised in the last day. Right. But Jesus wants to say that it is not just a last day event. Right. It is... A person, I am so the there's, resurrection. There's of the life. correction on 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 both sides, both in the, on the sort of the the Jewish side, yes, uh, the, Jew, the Jew, uh, Jewish way of thinking and the and the Old Testament way of thinking, let's say, and those outside of Christendom, as far as okay, was it a resurrection spiritually, or was it uh, is it the intent to is the resurrection referring to death to life after death? You know, when when you die, then you live. Is that the resurrection, um, or is it something else? And I and of course we'll we'll hash this out right now. Uh, Paul is not saying it's you just live after you die. You die and go to be with Jesus. This is there's another event that happens. Absolutely, but but there's this the skewing that happens, right? Um, uh, during the Grecian times, because there's this Platonic thinking that right. is introduced. Right. And Plato's ideology is that, in fact, uh, all that is physical is evil. Evil, yeah. And it's- so he sees, in fact, no real purpose for the resurrection of the body. Right. And, uh, and, and, See, that, and that's why I was saying is that, is, that, is that a lot of times they would adopt similar thinking. It's like, well... There's no need for another body. There's, there's. They wouldn't have expected a physical resurrection. Nobody would have expected that because everybody else would have said this is not needed because we don't need things. Things physical or, uh, or material, rather, are evil. It's very dualistic, is what we call it. Um, and you get that. You get the the sense that even in some of the early church fathers and the the, the mon- uh, monastics who live out in the desert and they become very uh, ascetic in their in their living, thinking. That they had to um, rid themselves of, of, of you know, thing, earthly pleasures. All earthly goods, yeah. all earthly pressures. And, and it was almost a dualistic way of thinking as well, thinking that's all evil, uh, even denying sex or, or marriage or, you know, things that God has made to enjoy. That crept into the church as well. But so what, what Paul is saying here, he's addressing, uh, in one sense, and what we're trying to find is the resurrection isn't just something spiritual, it is something physical. And physicality is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. In fact, Genesis 1 yeah. um, would argue against it being a bad thing. The body is created by God. Yeah. And and again, this this Platonic thinking later on, this Epicurean thinking, yep. right? Yep. That says, well, things that are physical are bad. They 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 do not matter. So let's eat, drink, and be merry right. for tomorrow, tomorrow we, we die. die. It doesn't matter what we do in this body. Right. And Paul says nothing could be further from the truth. Exactly. In fact, at the end of chapter 15, one of the things that he's going to argue is, since we're going to be raised from the dead, right. uh, he makes a very, very clear statement. Um, uh, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So right. so what that's, you that's do now counts for 50, yeah. eternity. Right. So, so we're not arguing that the body is worthless. We could not look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and say that the body is worthless or what we do in this body is worthless. Um, secondarily, for Christians, uh, often you'll be at a funeral or a memorial service, right? Yeah. And, and, and they'll say something like, you know, uh, this, this body that's here is not them. Right. Uh, they are raised. Right. Well, you need to know something. That body is, is a part of us. Right. 
right? We are not Seventh-day Adventists in that that body comprises all of us. Right. We are not Seventh-day Adventists in that we are in stasis, that we are housed in that body. They hold to something called soul sleep. Correct. Basically, where you die and you're sleeping, quote unquote, inside of that body, in, yeah, until until the resurrection at the end, and and right. But, but so, okay, this is to you know what it's not. It's not spiritual only. What is it then? What we're saying? What exactly? If we're saying, and what Paul's arguing, and the New Testament argues is the resurrection. It's physical, right? It's not just something where you die and go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. And that's true, but that's incomplete. Because in one sense, you are disembodied. You don't have a body. And the scriptures uh, teaches that we will be joined again with our with a body. Um, and so in one sense, the New Testament is arguing that the resurrection is physical. It's after you die. Yes. It's the life. It's uh, as N.T. Wright talks about the... Um, the life after life after death, basically. Yeah, I, I think to quote the former Bishop of Durham directly, yeah. it's important to state that resurrection is best defined as life after life after death. Yes. Right? So that means, you. okay, what you're saying is you die, and you're and if, you're, if you're a Christian... You're, you're alive You're alive, you die. you're with the Lord, you're in heaven, but at some point, you go back and join back with a... With that body. With that body, now, Paul talks about later on in 1 Corinthians, the nature of that body and all this kind of stuff, and maybe we'll get to that. That's later in the chapter, and because they had issues with that, too, as far as, you know, is it the same? Is it different? You know, what's the, and of course, Paul will address that and say, you know, that which is imperishable <laughs> is still imperishable. This is now going to be an imperishable body, and this is going to be something that's going to be looks like you it is you but it's maybe not of the same it has undergone a transformation yeah it is it is no longer mortal it's immortal it's no longer perishable it's imperishable i don't know uh my son likes to eat watermelon you know those little black seeds and maybe some have white seeds you know you look at a seed of watermelon and he was like that does not look like a watermelon but when that seed is you know sprouts and grows watermelon it looks like a, a watermelon the seed is like the the physical body beforehand, let's say, and the watermelon is afterwards. There's there's a transformation. There's a change. It's still the same watermelon, let's say. Maybe that's a bad example, but well, Paul in fact borrows this agricultural conceptual example, right? He does. Right? Um, in speaking of the seed, I, I think it's important though um, uh, to to remember and and I quote Dr. Norman Geisler here um, at the time that he was dean of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and he says, and I quote: "If Christ did not rise in the same physical body, right." that was placed in the tomb, then the resurrection loses its value right. as evidential proof of his claim to be so, God. So we're, what we're saying is is that the resurrection is a joining of the Christian back to his body, but the body has been changed. It's different, but yet it's... This, it's it undergoes like you, a metamorphosis right, or a transformation. Exactly. So there's like, So maybe we could say, we can ask the question, well... Why is that necessary? Because, well, isn't it enough that I die and go be, to go be with the Lord in my spirit? You know, isn't that enough? You know, why is it necessary for for us to be joined with our bodies? Why is, it, is the resurrection even, why is it necessary? Well, number one, it's necessary because of Genesis 1 and 2. God right. has given um, uh, uh, a great level of honor 
to the human being as he has formed us. And he has formed us to be, in the words of Norman Geisler, and you in like the Norman words... Geisler. <laughs> I was just going to go further, in the words of Millard er- Erickson, to be a conditional unity. Right. We were intended... One of the reasons why death is so tragic is because it breaks apart what God intended to be right. unified uh, eternally and permanently. Okay, right? and, and you, see, you also see example of this in Christ himself. Christ himself was raised, this is why we argue, he isn't just raised spiritually, he's raised physically as well, arguing for the fact that man is meant to be a unit. Well, listen, we would have right? had no controversy in the first century if they could have found a body. Right. Right? The whole argument is, where's the body? Where's the body? And, and so if they could find Christ's body, and if after resurrection they can find your body, then the whole of resurrection is messed up. What's right. more, this concept of first fruits, which which would argue that that whatever the first crop looks like, yeah. the crop following is to follow in the order of and in the style of and in the flavor of whatever the first crop was. And so Jesus is referred to as the first of those who are resurrected from the dead. Right. So if he was raised bodily, right. then the anticipation is nothing less than the you, nature of how Christ was raised. You, you got to wonder, okay, one, our, obviously, why physical body? Obviously, the, the answer to, the first answer would be the 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 idea that man is made as a unit, body, soul, and spirit, right? We're made as, that's, that's a complete person, right? Yes. There's got to be something, there also has to be something good about that. In other Absolutely. words, there's there's something good that Christ rise bodily. There's something that is beneficial to to man, mankind. That is to a person who has a complete body, soul, and spirit all in one, as opposed to just being disembodied in heaven. There's something even better by having a body. And I just got to wonder, you know, I and I'm I'm using my my imagination, okay. Um, and I don't know how things are in are in heaven in the spirit in the spirit realm, but I I have to wonder. That Christ has has that being in a body is of more benefit than being out of the body. That being and having the body that God has made that will make for us will have some benefit uh, benefit uh, to us and something that will glorify God. And I don't know, maybe we'll enjoy food better in heaven. <laughs> well, to have a to have a human body is critical to what it means by definition to be human. Right. Secondarily, not only is that critical to what it means to be human, but God gives value not simply by the imago Dei, the image of God, but he reinforces that through the reincarnation. Right. I mean, stop. Christ wait, wait, was raised in a body. Through reincarnation? No, through the incarnation. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, through the yeah. incarnation. Yeah. Did I say reincarnation? Yeah, I think you said reincarnation, but that's okay. Oh, dear Lord, that was a horrendous mistake. Yeah. No, through the incarnation. Through the incarnation. Right? The incarnation. Through his enfleshment. Right. Let me say that directly. Right. And so um, it's one thing to say that the human body is valuable. It's another thing for God the Son See, to take on, and may I argue, and keep a human body. And here's what's interesting. Back in Genesis, when God created man, he declares... That it was good. Mayod. Uh, he Mayod, says yes. mayod tov. Very good. It's very, very good. good. Yes. So it's a good thing that we're joined back, that, that we are not meant to be without our body, okay? So resurrection is not just a spiritual event. It's not just a ethereal thought, a hopeful of things to come and, you know, all these kind of wonderful ideas. It is you know, an actual physical resurrection, which is why they are so upset that there's no body in this grave. Gee whiz, what had happened to this body? Everybody is wondering what happened to his body, but the significance that Christ rises bodily, 
obviously being their first fruits. What that means is that it, their first fruits was the first of the fruit that would, of the harvest, and say, here's what here's is here's the um, what the rest of the harvest will look like, so to speak. Here's Christ is at, in his new body, in his resurrection glorified body. It depicts, it pictures, it is a representation of what the rest of us will have as well, which is a good thing. Um, and so what I think what, what threw people off in the first century is that they didn't expect the resurrection to happen, se- like the resurrection of Christ happened at a separate time from a resurrection of the, the end times. Of the eschaton, of the, the last eschaton, days. They would expect the eschaton to happen, all, everything would be uh, resurrected all at once. But here Christ is res- resurrection first, and then there's a, obviously a period of time between his resurrection and the last day, you know, when, when the believers in Christ will rise and, and, or bodies will be changed. And so there's, there's, a, um, there's a gap, so to speak, you know, and now we, have, we live within that gap, so to speak, you know. But as Paul would argue, that <clears throat> resurrection event of Christ's body would set in motion the last day event. Right. So it is, while it is a gap, it is also interconnected. And and since I made the mistake earlier, let me also say that it is not, in fact, reincarnation. No. It is not a a reintroduction right. into the physiological world um, uh, in another uh, See, form, yeah. like a bug or a cow See, or and, a dog. And I, and we have friends and neighbors who are from India or we have friends who are, you know, we know people, I know people who are sort of in that mindset, let's say, that belief. You got to wonder, in reincarnation, it's almost like you didn't get it right the first time. So let's try again. You didn't get it right the next time. Let's try it again. Let's, let's get it right next time. Let's try harder. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no trying and trying again. It's God got it right the first time. Absolutely. That's the hope that we have. That's the glorious thing is we don't have to be reincarnated over and over again. It's that Christ has been resurrected to this glorified body. And there's no, the believer or nobody else has to be reintroduced to try all over and over and over again. Well, remember remember what um, uh, the Greco-Romanized concept was during Jesus' day. No one comes back from the dead. No. Right. No, that I mean that's well, that's like you said the Epicureans, you know, eat, drink, be married for tomorrow we die, you know, or, or even uh, there's some like Roman inscriptions about I was, I you know, I was not, now I'm not anymore, or something like that, you know, where they just realized that all they believed in was this life, and they they live life that that life to them was was well to quote a, a common um a very popular speaker now your best life now is what they wanted to live their best life now and that was that was their standpoint because there was no afterlife after that you know right and it's important to mention that that um the disciples already challenged this during Jesus day because they thought he was a ghost right resurrection is not being an apparition right it's not being a ghost a right. disembodied ghost yeah he's able to eat fish see he's that's able to that's be the thing I'm, I'm looking forward to I don't know about you but sometimes you know I'm thinking it would be nice to be with the Lord and have a nice juicy steak you know or a, you know a piece of salmon or you know something that does you know and maybe there's vegetarians out there whatever it's some some good dish that was made by the lord and and just to have the enjoyment of fellowship and eating you know and and i love the fact that he he eats with the boys you know he makes them breakfast you know and they touch him they touch him and there's something human about that there's something that 
we can relate to, you know, it's not like this ethereal, you know, up in the clouds. It's like, so I imagine there's, there's this marriage festival, right? That's the marriage feast of the lamb, you know, that is described. That's going to be an actual feast, you know, I don't know what we're going to eat on, you know, if it's, you know, whatever it is, but that's part of being human. It's part of fellowship and part of, of enjoyment. And so, you know, who knows? Even in the interim, um, um, Betwixt the time that you die and you are raised, Paul says you don't desire to be naked. We're not even naked at that time. God gives us interim bodies, according to the Apostle Paul. And when you get to the transfiguration, right, um, at the transfiguration, you see Moses and Elijah, and they are not in their resurrected bodies, but they are in um, 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 uh, temporal bodies that are accommodating bodies to see to what is necessary in that bridge uh, of time, as it were. Right. So so it's not disembodiment. And, and I think that's important. I want to mention what the uh, uh, Greek scholar A.T. Robertson once yes. argued, which I think is important, even from a grammatical perspective, right? And he argues that if we look at the language of the Apostle Paul, and we anticipate that it's supposed to be a spiritual body, right. body would be the noun, spiritual would be the adjective, which yeah. describes the noun. And he raises the question, which uh, is grammatically stronger, the noun or the adjective? And of right. course, we know that the noun is stronger. And so the noun carries the weight grammatically and within the framework of the sentence. So according to the noun, it must be a real body. But what is the nature of the body? Well, it is spiritual in its nature. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's apparition or ghostly or or non, uh, uh, not real, rather. What it means in this text is it's a body that is at the behest and direction of the Spirit of God, right. contra the, the uh, direction of the Spirit of God that we would step into on occasion and out of Galatians 5, where we could act in the flesh or act in the Spirit. When we are in our resurrected real bodies, we'll completely be under the control of the Holy Spirit, and there'll be no question as to whether or not we are capable of doing the will of God or will do the will of God. All right, so now let's let's sort of transition because I don't want to run out of time. Absolutely. Let's do a part two. <laughs> we, there's always room for a part two. You know, we we know what, we've defined what is resurrection, what resurrection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, obviously physically. Um, they're looking for a body. Jesus appears to his disciples and shows that he has physicality, although his body can do a whole lot more than that, can pass through walls and disappear and things like that. It can actually live in heaven, uh, which he is right now. He is physically in heaven in this spiritual body, which tells you something. Uh, something has happened to the body of Jesus to enable it to live in the, the dimension of heaven, however that, that looks like. But let's talk about the importance of that because... Um, you know, we say, okay, he died and rose again physically, and that's he's the first fruit of what's going to happen to us. We're going to rise again physically. Knowing that Christ's resurrection was a physical resurrection, what's what's so important about that? You know, and and I and I want to uh, just you know maybe um, just kind of ask that question, and also, you know, Paul makes the point. When he's talking to the Corinthians, and this is this is crucial, he makes the point that the gospel that he preached, and he actually lays out in the first few verses that I read, um, he says, the, the, I, I delivered to you, verse 3, that which uh, I have received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 
that he was buried and was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, a lot of times when you hear the gospel being preached, the cross is emphasized and the resurrection is kind of just left out. But Paul, in, in his preaching here, includes them both, that these are both things that, and both according to the scriptures, the scriptures talked about the crucifixion be necessary and also talk about the resurrection be necessary. And uh, and then it talks about how after that, he says he, ra- he, he resurrected and then he appeared to so many different people, which we'll talk about in a second. He ties the nature, the content of the gospel has to have the resurrection as part of that. That's important because... If Christ is still dead, Paul says, then you're still dead. Absolutely. L- let me restate that in a, yeah. in a little bit different way, John. You um, can restate it all you want. <laughs> <laughs> the resurrection is not optional to the gospel. It, no, it's um, not. Everything before the resurrection is invalidated if, in fact, there is no resurrection. Right. The resurrection is God the Father's affirmation to not only an innocent Christ, but a righteous Christ. In other words, he was not only not guilty, he did everything right. Thus, he alone deserves right to an indestructible life. What's more, I think that the language within this text is critical because the gospel is not just arguing that he was raised, right? Yeah. But when the text of scripture says that he died, it's in what we refer to as a past tense, an aorist, as it were. He did that, it's done, he will not revisit it. Right. Um, um, he was buried, he did that, same same right. concept. Right. He, he did that, it's done, he will not revisit it. But when it switches to he was raised, raised. It's, it's in perfect. what we refer to as a perfect tense, right. which is an action that happened in the past, and the efficacy resonates into the present. Right. So, so the idea is not just that he was raised, in fact, he was raised to such a degree that, that he will forever have an indestructible life. He cannot well, die again. Right. And he's still alive. He's raised, and it still affects all of life today. You know, what's interesting is that sort of the tie of, of the gospel and the resurrection, you know, even from the earliest, if I look at, uh, in Acts chapter 1, it talks about that they were, um, if I pull up the correct verse here, uh, it says that they were uh, a witness. Oh, basically, uh, when they wanted to select the next uh, the next disciple to take uh, Judas Iscariot's place. Yes, Matthias. They yes. wanted to select somebody that was with them the whole time and somebody that was with them since the beginning of, of the baptism, John, uh, verse 22 of Acts chapter 1, until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. It was like, that was the criteria. The criteria mainly was whoever we select to replace Judas Iscariot ought to have been a witness to his resurrection, you know, and and even in um, in Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter tw- uh, ch- Acts chapter two uh, on the day of Pentecost, people speaking in tongues, and Peter gives a sermon. And he says, "Listen, God raised him up, uh, and 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 we saw him. We you know God God resurrected Jesus Christ, and that was the that's the thrust of his message. And and all of the rest of the book of Acts, um, you have the emphasis on the resurrection. We are witnesses of the resurrection, or um, when Paul mentions the resurrection." Um, before the the Roman courts or before the Sanhedrin or wherever, 
that's really what stirs up, you know, you know um, in fact, it's when, when the resurrection is mentioned that, that you, know, you know, the kind of, you know, all the people, the crowd are like, oh, you lost your mind, Paul, you know, and you're talking about, you know, people rising from the dead. That was such a new concept, you know, but, but it was central and it was so central to the gospel, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that without it, as you said, there is, there is no Christianity basically without it. And so um, I guess, you know, Paul says back in First Corinthians, he says, listen, if we haven't, if we have not preached the gospel, if Christ has not been raised up, um, then our preaching's in vain. I think that's important. That's very important. John, um, this, this concept of preaching, the Greek word that stand behind this is the idea of heralding yes. with emotiveness a, a message, as it were. Right. And that message in this particular case is an announcement. Right. So we are serving, they were serving, as heralds of a message. And that message was an official legal announcement from heaven on behalf of the Father uh, that argued for the resurrection. Now, remember the importance of preaching. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the scripture says that it is through the foolishness of preaching, not right. foolish preaching, right. but through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. Right. Um, again, the scripture not, says... Not through, fire, not through fireside chats. No. No. It's through preaching. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm just interjecting. And the content because... of that preaching is absolutely important. Right. By the way, how can you hear without a preacher? Right. And how can he preach except he be sent? You right. have to remember that this concept of being sent yeah. is, is very First Testament and very New Testament because there is a sender that is represented and a message that is communicated through the one sent and and that's critical. So it, when Paul says that our preaching is in vain if we don't preach the resurrection, it, it's almost it's what he's saying is this: what distinguishes our message apart from any other message out there is the resurrection of Christ. Now think about that. What's the one thing? And uh, and if you look at the religions of the world, um, well, there's a lot of things that are different between Christianity, but one of the main things is the the adaptation of of something a historical event in the resurrection of, of of Jesus Christ and that being central that he has to that that what is central to our gospel the good news that we proclaim is that Jesus Christ has been resurrected you know that's what sets it apart if with you if you take resurrection out of Christianity you have no Christianity what you have is Maybe good moral teachings, but I don't even know if I would argue that it could not be. It could not be moral teachings no. because if our if our founder is a liar, right? If our founder is a liar, then then we're following lies. Then you must check off the morality, right? See, it's one thing to to say, well, this person has a good good teaching, good moral basis, but if the at the end of the day they're conquered, their ideas are conquered, their their thoughts are are proven to be false, then it's a lie. And so it's and as if to say the resurrection is the central doctrine that sets apart Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion in the world in, 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 is really an attempt of man to do something about themselves, to change themselves, to, to whatever. 
sh- uh, shift the, the the shell like in the shell game. You're just kind of shift things things around, but you still have the same thing. Absolutely, I think it's important to note this that structurally, the Apostle Paul is making a legal structurally. Argument. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just he's making. I, I am just messing with you. <laughs> that, that, that the structure of this passage. Oh, and ye, the, oh, and, ye who read Shakespeare to your wife. <laughs> Honey, sh- structurally, this sauna is made up of three or five meters. Stanzas, right? Stanzas. <laughs> Sorry. That, that the genre or the kind or the style of this is a style of Latin legal argument right. that was right. referred to as reductional ad absurdum. Right. In other words, what Paul is going to do is, in translation, he's going to reduce this argument to its logical, Exa- illogical statement. Exactly. He's going to say, ladies and gentlemen, if we weigh this out logically, you'll see how illogical this is. Right. Because this kind of concept caves in on itself. And, and this is what he wants wants to argue which is a good way really a good way to think through things absolutely you know okay what's the consequences if if the resurrection of the dead is not true if if what you said is true right let's reduce this reduce this down to the very end it's a good way of thinking through things go on so in verse number 12 this is what he says and, and i'm going to restate what he says after i read it but he says now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's a rhetorical question. And then he makes his point. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, period, not even Christ has been raised. In other words, the first victim right. of this kind of teaching is Jesus. Is Jesus. Yeah. So you got to wonder, because sometimes when, when we as Christians or people put out silly arguments, we don't really think through those things. And Paul is saying, wait, hold on. If, if you're assuming that a resurrection does not take place... Well, then I guess Jesus is not resurrected. Well, this is theological Jenga. It's, it's the, the whole of the blocks yes. fall down. Yeah. He, is the, he is the quintessential block, and his resurrection is the quintessential doctrine that upholds every other block in the Christian narrative. Right. And so here's, here's the thing I think is important to state. We mustn't remove Jesus and insert Jesus where we would like him to be. Jesus must be inserted where he insists on being. Right. And if you remove his resurrection, he cannot be inserted now, successfully any place else in the story the whole falls down now just to clarify the the issue he's right uh, addressing here is probably uh, with some or a few members of the Corinthian church that were saying that there is no resurrection and this is separate from uh, I think it's in uh, first or second Thessalonians uh, where they thought the resurrection had already occurred right so in Thessalonica this, they're thinking it's this already happened, already happened. And here in are, Corinthians it's not there gonna, is no resurrection right. and he's addressing I think he's addressing uh, not majority he's probably addressing a few that are probably causing people to to worry that there's no resurrection and Paul is saying if there's no resurrection then Christ has not been ra- raised from the dead then um then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain because your faith was in response to our preaching and the preaching had to do with the resurrection. So the Jenga cards or Jenga blocks have all fallen apart. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because when he says it's not in vain, he uses this interesting word in Greek. Canon, yes. right? From it's the word from which in Philippians two we have kenosis. Right. Right? Which is an empty, right? But when right. you're looking at the, this word, 
the context is what must determine its meaning, right? right? And and here in this particular text, I want you to think about this because he says uh, it's vacuous or devoid of any advantage or benefit. Now, now stop for a moment, John, because just you and I, yeah. the, the, there's 52 Sundays in a year. Yeah. And, and so you look over the lifetime of individuals, and, and if they are faithful and devout, yeah. most individuals are more than not in their local parish that period. And this is what Paul says of the first century preaching. By the way, may I just mention, it's not just of the first century preaching, because yeah. in the earlier verses, he says that he died according to, to the scripture, scripture right. which is a reference to the First Testament. Right. So Paul has just said, do you know what you've done, silly thinkers? Right. You've undone, undone the, the first whole test- of yeah. First Testament prophets. You've so undone the whole of New Testament teaching. By the way, you've reached into the future and undone any preaching that we, do, we are doing doing currently. See, and uh, that's a good point to bring up, is that when Paul's addressing the, them, he's bringing up something that that he, in fact, he says, I received this, and the section of Scripture where he talks about Jesus died according to Scripture, he was raised according to Scripture, um, so on and so forth, and even the appearances to his disciples, which we skipped over yet right now, these are things that Paul himself received from a prior source. In other words, Paul sees Jesus on the on the road to Damascus, right? But Paul wasn't involved with the the life of Jesus, right? He wasn't involved as one of the disciples, you know. He had to get his information from the disciples himself. So this is perhaps a a, a hymn that was passed on to him um, that he is affirming, but this hymn contains the contents, the scripture that the scripture for, uh, foretold of Christ of the Messiah's uh, suffering for us. If we're told of the the resurrection of the Messiah, the idea of the third day being repeated throughout the scripture, the the point is is that the Corinthians haven't thought this through, that they are totally undermining the things that were had to be, as Jesus says to uh, um, to the to the fellows on the road to Emmaus, you know, impacting the scripture, you know, and and showing the and and uh, showing forth the things that had happening, you know, um, this is all that was written about him. That had to take place. The, all of the new, oh, okay, the Old Testament points to the Messiah, points to the sufferings of the Messiah, and the, and and as uh, Jesus talks about what was written about him in, in the law and the prophets and the writings, you know, and Moses and that all about him, uh, what had to take place. That's all foundational to what ha- what actually happened. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, if you don't have a resurrection, if Christ is not resurrected. You can throw out the entire Old Testament. All of the preaching. All of the preaching. Listen, Genesis everything. 22, yes. with, with Abraham receiving his son back alive, right. is worthless. Right. Um, this statement, um, as Jonah was three days three and days, three, three nights, nights in, the, in, the, yeah. in the belly of the sea monster, so also must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the grave. You have to throw that out. Concepts of uh, that arise from the book of Psalms, where David argues concerning uh, the fact that his son will not see corruption. His right. body will not... You right. have to throw that right. out. You have to you throw have, out all four Gospels. Right. You have to throw out the book of Romans. I mean, you don't have a Bible. You don't have a Gospel. So, you don't have a central figure Christ who is the first fruits of anything but a failed concept. See, now here's the thing, is when he says your preaching is vain, as an implication, obviously, our, our preaching is vain. That means we're preaching... Uh, an error. We're we're preaching something that didn't happen. If if Christ wasn't erect, is erected, 
then your faith is also in vain because the faith was in response to the content of what we preached, and the content of what we preached was a resurrected Christ. So your faith is in a dead Messiah, not a living Messiah. Well, then your faith is dead because the Messiah you believe in is dead if Christ is not raised from the dead. Well, let me be very terse with this, John, right? You can be terse all day long. (laughs) Again, 52 Sundays in the year. So First Testament preachers, worthless. New Testament preachers, worthless. Right. But but the word here for kenosis is this idea. Empty, that, you're talking about. That, yes, yeah. it's, it's empty, it's, it's vacuous, Vain. it's void, it's of no benefit. Right. Listen, so let me stop and say this. Not only have we, Paul, Moses, Jonah, David, others, done you a disservice, right? right? Isaiah 53. Not only have we done you a disservice by, by taking up your time with something empty, We've wasted your time as a decoy, as right. a theological, biblical decoy to whatever the real is. Right. We have actually not just given you an empty message, we have robbed you of whatever the authentic message okay, is. Okay, so hold on. No, We've hurt you. We've no, disadvantaged now, you. Now, wait a second, help. Now, CL. Now, how many preachers out there today preach messages that have no resurrection in it? Now, think about that. I don't know about everybody else listening, going to the church, or but I could think of several preachers today, several messages, where there is no resurrection, where the, the, the sort of point of the whole message is more on you helping yourself, you changing yourself, um, you trying to better yourself through, here's five chips to do this and that, here's three things that, you know, and, but Christ is not resurrected in your messages, he's not even including your messages you, it's a Christless message, a Christless sermon, and it's all based on your own efforts. You're giving people, you're you're being a disservice to people. Self help guruism behind the pulpit in the name of preacher speak. Yeah, and dress. That's huge because again, there's no power in self help. The power of when Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that's the power of God. That conquered sin, that conquered death, that conquered any nothing could hold him in the grave, right? You know, Jesus says, "Listen, uh, you don't take my life. I lay down my life for the sheep, and then I raise it up." You know, like like He has the power. If you don't have a resurrection, or if you don't have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your teaching, in your understanding of the gospel, then it's powerless. Then then it's completely powerless, and you're giving people. Um, I don't worthlessness, know, worthlessness, right? Uh, let, let me let me add to that. Yes, by by restating that in a different way. Yeah, John. please give me your Twitter version. <laughs> if, <laughs> if Twitter was three thousand characters long, <laughs> here's the reality. Paul says, if in fact this is not true, we have given you an empty message, right? But the antithesis is actually true. Paul's argument is, this is true. Now stop for a moment. Right. Because if this is true, then Paul would argue, we are the ones who have given you the worthwhile message. Right. Which means every other message that does not have this as its substratum or foundation is really the message that has and is wasting your time. Yeah. And wasting your life. His language, it is cruel. Right. It is not kind to sit under teaching or preaching or in a church where you are not being given 
the message that has as its central foundation the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me clarify what I don't mean. Yeah. I don't mean that every Sunday has to be a salvation message. No. But I mean every Sunday, if that preacher is preaching expositionally from Genesis to Revelation in right. any book, all of that is based upon right. the resurrection. Exactly. And if in fact this is false, then all of that is false. But if this See, is true, all of that is true. And any other message that is not appreciating biblical truth based upon a risen Christ is wasting your life and your time. And I think, and obviously, we're almost out of time. We're going to have to do a part two on this because we're just barely scratching the surface. If you insist. If I if I insist. <laughs> I, I know I'm going to insist because we haven't, in my mind, we're just getting warmed up on on these implications. Uh, preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. The apostles are a bunch of liars. If if um, if you know they're they're saying Christ is right raised from the dead, and if he has not been raised from the dead, then you can't trust anything the apostles say. That means that's the whole New Testament. So we threw out the Old Testament because they you know if if Christ has not been resurrected, then everything that was said according to the Scripture, quote unquote. His death, his burial, or his resurrection, and everything else. Well, if Christ is not resurrected, the Old Testament, the First Testament, has been thrown out. And if Christ has not been raised, then everything the apostles taught has been thrown out as well. The apostles are liars because they're saying God raised Jesus from the dead, and when, and when if He has not, then they're lying. So all of the teaching of the New Testament is thrown out. So you, you just by denying the resurrection, you basically denied the entire Scriptures. Now that's. I'm sorry. I don't want to stand next to the person who's who's not who's denying the scriptures like that because I mean what I'm saying is, um, and out of I'm kind of joking. I um, I would shudder to be that person that would deny the truthfulness, the validity, validity, the the teachings of the scriptures that happen if you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection of Christ. Is probably the, is the most important event in human history, and it's also the one thing that if you can attack and and that's where the attacks usually go and try to prove that wrong, um, then you that's the foundation of Christianity is the resurrection. Well, well, well John, I, the I'll not be, I'll not be as 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 kind in my statement. I'll be far more forward and say I cannot stand next to someone who is teaching or preaching anything otherwise because Paul says if a person is teaching something otherwise than a true gospel, a resurrected Christ, let that person be accursed from God. Right. Uh, we share no pulpit time with business gurus no. and and with um, uh, 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 self-help gurus. Or even people of other religions that that deny Christ's resurrection. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're playing with nothing less than the eternal you, state you, and status of souls. And you think you're being ecumenical and friendly by inviting people of other religions to be in your pulpit that do not share the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What exactly are you doing? What do you attempt? Do you Are you hoping to get your people to accept what they teach? Well, you're denying Christ, you're denying the truth of Christ, the power of Christ, um, the forgiveness of Christ in the sense of accepting or welcoming somebody to pre- preach from your pulpit that that denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there's no, you cannot do that. That is that is not the place. There's a converse, There's a place for having a conversation with people of other religions. I don't. I don't. I I love that. 
but you are not to allow a person of another faith to preach from your pulpit because then they're going to give a message that's not gospel, that's not beneficial, that's not true to the salvation and of, of the saints or the people who are listening in your audience. John, my prayer for you and I, as we've had the blessed experience to interact with one another through conversation on a theological scale for years, my, my prayer for you and I, and for those Presbyters who occupy pulpits throughout the globe, and for those persons who sit under the tutelage and efficacy of that tutelage from week to week, is that we would see the centrality of the gospel with all of its biblical content as essential. And that the pulpit would not be a platform for um, self-promotion. It would not be a platform for world promotion or psychological conceptual promotion or business finance promotion or, dare I say, dieting principle promotion or any of the other jargon. But may we be propagators, prognosticators, expositors, as it were, of a book from Genesis to Revelation that is built upon a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who is alive, who has an indestructible life, and whose indestructible life is the critical, quintessential point, factor, to all of life, to all of faith, to all of preaching, and to all of our existence, namely, for now and all of eternity. May we live in the light, preach in the light, and walk in the light of a living Savior. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Core and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.